Revelation chapters 19 and 20. After these, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of His servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God, who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen! Hallelujah! Then a voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters, and like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns! Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Then the angel said to me, Write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, Don't do that. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse, whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in me there, Come, Gather together for the great supper of God, so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and the mighty, of horses and their riders, and the flesh of all people, free and slave, great and small. Then I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. With these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. 
The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed, with the sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse. And all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss, and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient snake who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss, and locked and sealed it over him, to keep him from deceiving the nations any more until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. They had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with Him for a thousand years. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, and to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Well, welcome to King's. My name's Steve. I'm the uh, senior pastor of King's, and uh, you're very welcome here. King's is a large church, meets across four different sites, um, Beckenham, Catford, Lee, and Downham here. And uh, you join us as we come to an end, becoming near the end now, the last two or three weeks of the Revelation series, which has just been uh, fantastic, hasn't it? Um, uh, some of you will know uh, that I left school at 16 
and I worked on the shop floor. I was an apprentice in the printing industry. And uh, I was very fortunate that a number of the guys, there were about 20 of us that worked on the shop floor, you got to know them really well. George Costello, uh, a Liverpudian who supported Everton, um, uh, was my foreman. I had to make tea for him. And um, uh, you got to know these guys really well. I was fortunate that, uh, that a number of them, some of the key influences within the group were Christians. Now, I'd grown up in a Christian home and I went to a Baptist church. I wasn't a believer when I first started work. I didn't become a Christian until I was 19. But they were believers, but they were different to my experience of Christians to that point. So they didn't go to church, and they used to drink quite a lot sometimes. And my understanding, no, I wasn't a believer, was you go to church and you don't get drunk. I'd picked that up from growing up in a Christian uh, home. And uh, then... Uh, uh, but there was one thing about them. They were obsessed with the interpretation of end times. And so they were in Daniel 7 and Revelation, and they were always trying to work out what was happening on the world at that precise moment in history and connecting it to see if they could see and guess when Jesus was coming. And so, oh gosh, I knew about the 1948 war with Israel being as a nation state established again. I knew about the 1967 war when the, 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 the Arabs uh, attacked again. And uh, sometimes the ten stars or the ten horns or, were related to the ten Arab nations. And of course the European Union in its first form when it had a, a ten stars, yellow stars on a blue flag before more nations. Well, maybe that's the ten and... And then, of course, Gorbachev, oh, well, he's got the mark of the beast on him, so Gorbachev this. I mean, oh, we got it all, I'll tell you. And you do meet Christians sometimes, and they're just kind of consumed with trying to guess what is going on with the, the second coming of Christ. And uh, I've called this message, by the way, the return of the king. What a great title, the return of of the king. Sam, can we put that up? The return of the king. That would be great. It's, it's a champagne moment of the message, the title. Return of the king. Uh, but when it comes to the return of the king, we should really listen to the words of Jesus and the Apostle Paul. It's, Jesus says in Mark 13, About that day or hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, be alert, you do not know. When that time will come, it's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. And therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the cock crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let let him find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch! Or the Apostle Paul says, Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well, the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Uh, So, what we don't do, we know that people come, thieves come in the night. But what we don't do is we don't sit at home and I wonder when the thief's coming. I think, I think from what I can tell, I think he's coming in probably about three or four days because of the signs of the times. Yeah, okay. So the encouragement of Scripture is, is really not to waste a lot of time on this. 
And I, you can waste a lot of time trying to interpret the times. The encouragement of Scripture is be watchful and be alert. She's really talking to us as believers, you know, stand guard, follow Christ. That's the, um, the challenge here. Now that said, Revelation 20 is one of the most direct passages on the second coming of Christ. Um, but it's also one of the most challenging passages because uh, good scholars, good people, not kind of the wacky fringe, take this passage and interpret it differently. Uh, and there are three main positions. I'm going to introduce them to you and then you can weigh it up for yourself. And so uh, when looking at this passage, you want to be aware it directly addresses the second coming. It, it's one of the most challenging to interpret. And that people that on other subjects we happily quote, we might differ. And so you have to kind of hold it lightly and probably in the end got to work it out for yourselves. And then what I do is go pick big picture and say he's coming again. Some of the details, I'll let him deal with those. But just introduce the three positions, which is basically what does it mean or when is the thousand years? That's the question. When does the thousand years happen? And in what order does Christ come and at what time? And it falls into three main positions. Each of these positions have subsections and differing views within. But mainly it's a premillennial, postmillennial or amillennial position. That is what the evangelical church holds. And uh, I found Wayne Grudem. Some of you have heard of him. He's a, an American scholar. And if you've got his book, Systematic Theology, it's a big blue one with dust on if you've got it uh, at home, that one. Yeah, have anyone got a systematic theology? Yeah, it's just a very helpful and good book. He says and describes pre-millennial uh, like this. So if we could have that. So you have the cross, the resurrection, ascension of Christ. You then have the church age. Then Christ returns. The resurrection of believers. And then we reign on the earth. This earth, Yeah. Probably for a literal thousand years, but sometimes, it, like a lot of numbers in Revelation, is, is, is it literal or is it uh, just describing a period of time or something? So, and then there's a resurrection of unbelievers and judgment, and then there's the eternal state, new heaven and new earth. So that is known as pre, because Jesus comes before the thousand years. And the strength of that argument is the passage we just read uh, kind of like chronologically, it, it flows like that. And um, so some people hold that. Some hold what's known as post-mill, uh, which is the next one. So there's the cross, the resurrection and ascension of Christ. And then there is the kind of restoration of the church to reign on the earth. The millennium being possibly a thousand years literally or could be just a period of time. And so this view would be that gradually the church emerges on the earth and the reign of God's people uh, becomes clearer and clearer. Uh, and this is, this is a popular or has, has some history in the kind of, well, if you've ever heard of the restoration movement, which is sort of ties into the church emerging. And so you just think that in the end, there'll be so many Christians that uh, will influence everything and we'll have people in authority and government and all the key positions and gradually the church will emerge. Okay, that's a, a post view. And uh, 
probably the weakness with this is, well, actually, this, this works well when you're in seasons of peace and prosperity and when you're in a Christian nation which might have even Christian government. Yeah? So some, some so like, you, you could see this evolve in Nigeria, okay? Um, for example, a very Christian nation in comparison to some others. But it doesn't work so well if you think of what happened in the 20th century with two world wars. It doesn't look like justice is, is reigning. <laughs> yeah? It looks like darkness is reigning. And, uh, so that's, that's a post. Um, and then lastly, uh, Emil, uh, and that is the one that I hold, and Andrew, and uh, as a church, we would lean towards this way. That's as strong as I would say it. Um, and would read chapter 20 as like a, a flashback. So in, in, the, in the flow, you have to realize that this is, in your hermeneutic, you have to realize this is summarizing that something that's happened before, um, which is that uh, cross, resurrection, ascension, and then the thousand years is symbolic, like a lot of revelation. So it's not literal, it's just the church age. Then Christ will return, there'll be the resurrection of believers and judgment of unbelievers, and then the eternal state, new heaven, new earth. So that's an, uh, an A. Now, Jesus is coming again. When he does, we'll know. Uh, and uh, very important Christian doctrine, but I would encourage you not to get too het up on some of the details. But if you are interested, if there's something that I'm really going to... Steve, all you've done is just confuse me more. You've, tell me, tell me what to believe, pastor, type thing. Um, then resources for you. You could listen to Andrew Wilson on the Revelation Seminar. Brilliant seminar. Just online on the King's website. It's 10 minutes, about 50 or 60 minutes in. He does 10 minutes on the thousand years. So that might help you. It would be similar to what I've just shared uh, um, or if you really want to get into it, you can listen to two hours where John Piper interviews three renowned teachers and scholars who all hold the three different positions and kind of debate together in a good spirit why they believe this. So that's, that's fascinating. And then lastly, if you can get a copy of Systematic Theology, it's chapter 55. There's a good few pages which would help you. Second point today I thought as I was preparing this message, uh, I don't know if I've ever done this before, but I just felt to give lasting impressions from me, the senior pastor of Kings, to the church. What are my lasting impressions? As we've gone through this series, what, what has really impacted me? Well, the first thing that I've observed is Revelation is full of worship. You can't really go through a chapter or two and then suddenly there's a picture of, of heaven or God's people, the martyrs, worshipping the, the elders and the angels bowing down. And we see it again here in chapter uh, 19. It starts as a great multitude, which probably s- summarizes believers, martyrs, and the heavenly hosts. And they're worshipping. They're singing hallelujah because the king's coming. The return of the king. And it's like, hallelujah. God's bursting out of heaven. In fact, through the verses, it's like a, a worship service which builds and builds. Uh, I tell you, heaven, just so you know, bring your earmuffs. 
okay? It's going to be loud, okay? So if you're here and you think, I don't like loud worship, I'm sorry. I think heaven is going to be hallelujah, it's going to be trumpets. It actually says here, it would be like thunder or rushing water. If you've ever been close to a lot of rushing water, I mean, you can hear it. Hallelujah, yeah? It's going to be praise. I'm sure there'll be moments of silence and reflection as well for all you introverts, but there's going to be, yeah, some... There's going to be a big band on the platform. Yeah, okay, it's going to be kicking, I think. Yeah? But there's worship. Um, and I think as a church, what's happened is we've had different experiences of worship as we've, our, our awareness and teaching has filled out our view of God. We're a church that rightly so emphasizes the grace of God. Boldly approach the throne. You, you are cloaked in righteousness. You can come to God not because of what you've done this week, but because of what Christ has done for you. It's a wonderful message of grace. The danger with it is you can get cheap grace where you just don't really matter what I do and you get a bit too familiar with God. This series hasn't helped you get familiar with God. This series made you aware of his holiness, his, his other yeah? At times, it's like, I had the, it's like the fear of God has come in the room. On the Catford site last week, Andrew preached. It was on the message on the judgment of God. Happy days. Yeah? And uh, we worshipped. I was leading the meeting. I said to the musicians, let's just be quiet. So we stopped musicians playing. And the whole room was standing. One minute passed. Two. Three. Silence. Three minutes is a long time, actually, to stand silent. Four, five, six minutes. It's now gone one o'clock. We always finish at one at King's, don't we? It's the picnic and the kids' workers are pulling their hair out, okay? It's three minutes past. I'm leading the moment. Look, God's there. It's, it's, I can't remember. I can't remember in 25 years of ministry a moment like that. Okay, I'm there, I'm thinking. So I kind of do a pastor-type prayer, which has got enough content to show that I'm aware something quite remarkable is going on. At the same time, the hint to the congregation, the picnic and the, and the burgers are getting cold. Yeah, okay, that, do, do you understand that kind of thing? Makes absolutely no difference. Another minute. Another minute. It's seven past. People have been standing for over eight minutes in silence. And then I decide we have to close. So we do. And I say to everyone, I turn to someone and say, be strong and stay faithful. It was a holy moment. We've had moments like that. I'm sure you have on this site as well. I think it flows out of maybe my second reflection that sin and judgment are real. And the consequence of sin is far greater than we tend to uh, be aware of on a daily basis. Judgment is real. There's judgment on the earth and judgment is coming and it's sobering and it should be. I tend to think that we view ourselves as, you know, if God's there, we kind of, we're not that bad. But this series has kind of stretched the difference between holy God and fallen mankind. Um, There's judgment, there's justice, there will be justice. I think as another sort of reflection would be, just maybe a partial aside, is there's been a lot of emphasis on persecution through this, because it's written to a people that are under huge persecution. 
It applied then and applies to the persecuted church across the world, which we know is very high. Um, but I just, I, can I just say, let's not turn into a kind of victim mentality. Oh, I'm always, you know, poor old me, I'm a Christian. Yeah? Or if you get a little bit of pushback at work, you think, oh, I'm under persecution. <laughs> yeah? Well, maybe you've just been a good witness. Maybe they're aware you're a Christian and you've got different values. So be careful not to sort of... I mean, there are times when people do come under real persecution. I'm not sure we are. Uh, Culture is shifting, I know. Sometimes in work situations, you've got to make a judgment uh, to retain your integrity. I get that. But let's not become a victim. Kind of, we're always us poor Christians. We're not poor Christians. We're citizens of heaven. And we're aliens on the earth. So if we don't get any pushback, then we, I tell you, we're not doing a very good job. If you want an easy life, don't follow Christ. Yeah? So anyway, that's another reflection. Um, and my third one was, so I've kind of got two, enough, two in for my point, two there, but is um, around the whole area of interpretation of Scripture. I think it's been a great series for us as a church to grapple with uh, a type of writing uh, that Revelation is. And what I really liked about it is it's forced us to look at the text in its context and to the original readers, which is good hermeneutics or exegesis of all letters in the New Testament. People read it and they read it trying to interpret now and predicting the future. That is not a good way to handle scripture. You should start by the three C's of context, content and consequences. It's made me very grateful for the gift of the teacher amongst us and particularly obviously Andrew has taken the lead on this what a what a gift to have someone like that but to be honest the whole preaching team have served us so well Uh, I've watched them I've watched them put hours as I have absolutely hours into this series to preach these passages you have to read widely and you have to grapple with some some deep truths and then to present it in a way that is accessible for 30 minutes. And I think our preaching team have done a fabulous job. If you see one, but I mean, Joe did some in this series. If you see a teacher, uh, you're allowed to give them a high five and thank them for serving us. I hope you agree with that. Yeah. And then lastly uh, for me today, and then we'll respond, is in these verses, there's an invitation There's an invitation. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Christ is coming. The return of the King. There's going to be a wedding. There's a bride and there's a groom. The groom's coming with a bride. It's a contrast to the the prostitute and the harlot in in the last one. Here emerging God's people. And there's going to be a wedding. I am. Um, there's nothing like a wedding of close friends or family. So last year, our uh, second son Josh got married to the beautiful rocks, and here we are. There's me trying to look cool with my sons, and uh, Deb looks amazing, and and it's just what a day of celebration. There's going to be a wedding when the king returns. Uh, last week at the picnic. 
I was given a saver date by someone on the front row over here who's getting married next year. I'm very excited about it. We know them. We know the family. Woohoo! Yeah? It's a celebration. And uh, not only there's a wedding, there's going to be a feast. Yeah? Oh, don't you love food? Looking forward to lunch? Oh, you got, we all got our favourite food. So I, in my mind, I don't know if this is theologically accurate, but I think at this feast you're going to sit down and it's going to be your favourite food, everyone. It's just going to be great. Um, we're celebrating 30 years of being uh, really blessed, happily married, uh, just in about eight days, nine days' time. And we're going out for a family meal. We're going to Mazala Zone. Have you ever been to Mazala Zone in Covent Garden? <gasps> oh, it's... You know... Next Saturday, take the kids out. It's going to cost me a fortune. Praise the Lord. Yeah, okay. Uh, and, uh, but it's a feast. There's going to be a feast. There's a party. Yeah? This is the, the end of the age. When the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords appears in victory, riding on a white horse, which is like, gives this picture of conquer and, and power. Ah. Uh, for victory, I got a picture of VE Day. My father, my dad, still alive. He was born in 1936 and he grew up in London, in South Norwood, through the war. And he tells stories of hearing the doom bugs come over and then the engine dropping out and running down to the, the, the air raid shelter at the bottom of my grandma's uh, house in Dixon Road in South Norwood. And he tells stories of when he was about six or seven getting on a train with a little badge label on to go to Liverpool to get out of London for nine months because the V2s were dropping and you, couldn't, you just fell out of the air. You know, just. Uh, and he tells the story that when he was seven, he was taken up, to, taken up to central London for VA Day. What a day. You just think about that. If we'd lived through six years of war with bombs dropping on the house we live, not in whether we're going to get through the next day, and then the message comes through. Victory! Victory! Party across the city. Now we just get it. Get, just think what it would have been like. Yeah? Wow. Well, there's going to be a victory, and it's going to be some celebration. That's why the multitudes sing, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Can't help themselves, yeah? There's an invitation to a reign. He will rule forever and ever. I've got a picture of uh, the queen here. I think our queen is quite a remarkable woman, reigning for 60 years with all that comes with that role and call. She's a Christian, come to faith through Billy Graham's ministry. Every, I, I watch her Christmas message. So she gets the gospel in every year, doesn't she? Remarkable woman. We'll miss her when she's not here. There'll be a rain. And then lastly, you just, you're just on this kind of, Wah! and then boom, bang, there's an invitation to judgment. This is on the top of the old bailey. It's a woman. On one side, there's scales, which says in, in court, the evidence will be weighed. And a sword represents authority and power. And at the end of things, your life will be judged. And you'll stand there and you'll, woe is me, holy God, woe is me. And then if you're in Christ, if your name is in the book of life, Jesus will be there. He goes, I've got it. I've taken it. I've got the penalty. But yeah, on the cross. It's, yeah, okay. Good to go. Or it'll be fire and a sword will fall. 
So it's a kind of, once again, you're just, you're just kind of being, oh, return of the king. And then suddenly the reality of judgment is brought into sharp focus. Because he comes as the king of kings and the lord of lords. But as an invitation, I want to finish this message with a, an invitation to anyone here who's never put their trust in Jesus. Or maybe you have in the past, but you're kind of living with a foot in both camps. Yeah, one following Christ, one following the world. And God's calling you, no. Be watchful, be alert, be faithful. And there's a call to follow Christ. And so we're going to sing together. I wonder if the band could come up and serve us. And then I'll just lead us quickly in prayer and give you an opportunity maybe to become a Christian for the first time today or to recommit your life to Christ. Uh, Let's just pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you there's a wedding and there's a feast and there's a victory celebration and there's a reign, there's a rule. And Lord, there is judgment where justice will be served on the peoples of the earth. And Lord, it's wonderful. It's kind of glorious and scary at the same time. Help us be watchful and alert as we follow you, Jesus. Let's stand to sing.